What's up, everyone? Today is August 2nd, and we are officially into the part of training camp where I feel like I need to disclose that because uh, injuries are here. Uh, We had Tim Patrick go down with a torn ACL today. Um, Hopefully no more injuries by the time you listen to this podcast, but uh, we are officially in that time of the year. Um, Lots of uh, vague beat writer tweets about maybe injuries, maybe not injuries. Uh, We got to keep our heads on a swivel right now because uh, there's a lot of fake stuff out there, a lot of real stuff, and it's pretty tough decoding all this. So uh, we just launched our rankings on the site. Um, I've got my massive running back rankings article up right now. Uh, We've also got uh, tight end rankings by Dan Adams. Um, we got kicker rankings by Matt Bevins. On Wednesday, you are going to see wide receiver rankings from Chris Sanzo, um, my quarterback rankings, and my defense rankings. If you still play defenses and kickers, we got those for you. So lots of great stuff. I even put out a huge ultimate draft guide that you should check out. Just basically, if you want to draft a team like mine, uh, follow that guide, and you're going to get pretty close to one of my teams. So lots of Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle for you if you follow that guide. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've been uh, I've been in the lab for what feels like about a week just writing. I haven't seen the outdoors in a long time. Ryan, um, what is going on out in the real world? I'm, I'm completely out of it. Uh, just There's all kinds of stuff that could have happened in world news, and I would have totally missed it. So uh, catch me up to speed here in the last week. Uh, I'm definitely not the person to tell you because I was just <laughs> saying before the podcast, I haven't touched grass in a full three weeks at this point. All I'm doing is inundating myself with fantasy football information uh, and you're not wrong about the beat reporters sending out vague tweets. I, I was like close to a heart attack, I think, yesterday when Najee Harris got his foot stepped on, literally, and walked off the field. And Twitter was convinced that he had completely ended his season. So that that's really the emotional state that I've been in the last few days. So if, if you're asking me what's going on in the real world, I'm sorry. I'm, I am not the person to tell you. Yeah, we had a vague uh, Sky Moore hurt his hip tweet. That was like the entire tweet. It was like, uh, could we get a little more information than that? So, um, yeah, just keep an eye out on all that. But as always, I'm, I'm joined by Ryan Heath. I'm Eric Smith, Editor-in-Chief. And uh, today is my Running Back Rankings episode. I posted them on Reddit today. I had a bunch of good discussions on these rankings. Um, really not a whole lot of pushback on my rankings. So uh, I've brought Ryan on today to just tear these rankings apart. So that's what he's here for. Um, we're going to go from start to finish on my rankings. Um, but I will just say my my article has, I'd say, twelve to 14,000 words in it. I, it's a massive article. So we're not going to touch on everything, but please check it out. I put a bunch of work into it. So I would greatly appreciate if you went to the site and uh, read my running back rankings article. So um, I think we are just going to start this off because there's so much to talk about just with uh, the rankings. Um, we're going to start off at the top tier. Um, I keep these tiers a little bigger. I, I don't like breaking these tiers up into like two or three players too often, but we'll we'll talk about if that's wrong. Uh, but my first tier, um, just kind of assuming PPR points here, uh, it goes Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and DeAndre Swift. Um, I, I generally kind of count all of them as players that could be RB1 for the year, deserve to go into the first round. Um, Ryan, with that group of running backs, uh, do you have any qualms with the the order with uh maybe there should be another tier anyone you would add or take out what do you think about that first tier running backs i can't get super upset about the order but i would make a pretty strong case for breaking this tier into two i've been spending a lot of time on twitter lately uh arguing about christian mccaffrey being a cut above every other running back in the first round so i feel obligated to come out here and tell you that Austin Eckler is nowhere near Christian McCaffrey or really Jonathan Taylor's level. Now, I know that Eckler and Jonathan Taylor were about a half point per game in PPR off from each other last year, but there's a pretty big difference in how they got there. So I'm just going to read off the amount of red zone opportunities that each player had. So Austin Eckler had 65 red zone opportunities and scored 20 total touchdowns on the year. Jonathan Taylor had 93 red zone opportunities and scored the same number of total touchdowns. Now, yes, Eckler is on the higher volume offense. They were probably in the red zone more, but even given that he had less usage there than Taylor did, and he still managed to score the same number of touchdowns. This this is a situation that is screaming for touchdown regression. And that's even ignoring the fact 
that there could be a second running back here that takes even more goal line work. Eckler himself has vocally advocated for getting a second running back that can take some of the pressure off of him. He, he was saying it multiple times towards the end of last season. They just drafted Isaiah Spiller, who was apparently taking first team reps. Apparently every other running back on the roster was taking first team reps in training camp today uh, because it's training camp. And that that's what these beat writer blurbs are all about. But just one season ago, if you rewind to 2020, Eckler had only 26% of the backfield's red zone carries. Last year, he had his great year because that number spiked up to 62%. And if that comes back down to normal, he's not really challenging for high-end RB1 status again. He's probably back down like below RB6 on the year in points per game if that happens. So just with the possibility for normal touchdown regression, even if his role stays the same, plus the possibility of his role decreasing given what the Chargers and Eckler's intentions seem to be. I don't think Eckler belongs anywhere near the Christian McCaffrey conversation. Do not take him at 102. What is your response, Eric? Well, I have Eckler at 103, so I'm on board with that. But um, now I, so basically it's kind of difficult because if you count McCaffrey and the points that he's put up in the past, then it just throws off this whole tier because he's just in a level by himself. So we kind of have to sort that out from the start. Like none of these guys are going to score 30 points per game. So I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, when we kind of set the bar at the Jonathan Taylor 22 points per game last year, uh, that was the RB1. That's when I think Eckler deserves to be up with them. Um, my counters to this would be, uh, first of all, he plays with Justin Herbert. I know that's an easy one, but they were a top five scoring offense last year. And, Frankly, the offense didn't feel like it was all that well designed at times. Like it, it felt like they left some points on the table. Um, so I do think that Herbert can, um, you know, develop here. This offense can be better. Um, I love the fact that Eckler's getting six targets a game or more from Herbert. And I kind of, you know, if something ever happened to Keenan Allen, who's 30, or Mike Williams, who's been up and down and banged up, like I just, man, they're they're going to need Eckler all year, even with those two players. So I just find it hard to believe that Eckler's not going to be just as involved and he, I mean, he's had eight receiving touchdowns for the last two years each year. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a fluke. Like it's just him coupled with Herbert. And then you look at Isaiah Spiller, like I want to get on board with Spiller. I'm trying to find reasons to draft him because I do agree. There's a huge role here. It's got a huge touchdown volume, but I feel like we've been through this before with like Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree and Justin Jackson. And we're always trying to make this RB2 happen. I mean, Spiller has what, like a 24th percentile speed score, 27th percentile. Um, he's a fourth round pick. So I hope he's better than Joshua Kelly, but I don't really know that yet. So that's my pushback on Eckler. I feel like he's above the other running backs just because of the offense. I mean, we kind of, it's kind of odd because this, this first round tier of running backs is not running backs in, uh, you know, elite you know, quarterback friendly offenses. And so he's kind of the outlier there. So that, that's why I like Eckler. It's a high scoring offense. I just, I find it hard to see him really tanking your season. He's going to be productive. And even the age is a little scary, but his touches are way below most of the other running backs at his age range. So I'm hoping he's got a little bit more juice in the tank. So I don't know. Like, I understand the points for sure. He's definitely due some touchdown regression on the ground, but I just wonder if maybe there are some other ways he can make up for that. I think that's fair. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that he should be getting pushed down your rankings under players like Najee Harris or Derrick Henry, who definitely have their own flaws. Uh, but I think my point really is that I don't see like 24 points per game in his range of outcomes. And I see that for both Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey has obviously done that and more. And Taylor, I mean, really could potentially grow in target share again this year. There are a few outs that Jonathan Taylor has to outdoing that 22 points per game that we kind of have been ragging on all summer, even though it it yeah. was the best any of running back did last year. Yeah. So that, yeah, that would be my case for why there needs to be a tier separation there. And we obviously you haven't ranked wide receivers in this, but I would insert both Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson, and even Jamar chase above Austin Eckler before I consider taking him. You say even Jamar Chase, like he's some scrub. Come on, Ryan. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think that's what we're dancing around here is where do you put those three receivers? Is it after Taylor and McCaffrey or is it after Taylor, McCaffrey and Eckler? 
Uh, I have Eckler ahead of them just because of how frustrating the running back position is if you don't take him there three. Uh, so that's what really makes me lean towards him. And I do try to make these rankings for the audience. I know a lot of people out there just do not want to deal with the headache all year at running back. And like I said, I just, I don't think Eckler is going to be all that disappointing, but I do see the pushback on the ceiling. So uh, yeah, I, I think we're on the same page with Eckler. It's just a matter of, do you take those receivers in front of them? So um, other than that, I think we're in pretty much agreement on the rest of this tier. I moved Swift up last minute into this tier. I, I ultimately decided that if I'm going to have Najee Harris in this tier, Swift is close enough. He, he was outscoring Najee Harris last year in points per game before Swift got hurt. And that's really the big knock on Swift is he's been banged up in his career. He's missed, I think, three games each of the past two years. And as, as worrisome as that is to invest capital in him, I, I think we probably both agree that trying to predict injuries on a young player is, is bad process. So um, do you, are you on board with me getting Swift in there? And would you have Kamara or Mixon at the top of my next tier in with the top tier? Or do, do you end it as Swift as well? I would end it at Swift as well. Swift is really the last running back I would put in the tier because I think he is the last guy that has truly truly running back one upside now i can make an argument for some guys in your second tier that could be the overall rb1 but i i don't think all that much really does have to change for it to happen for swift he really honestly kind of like austin eckler needs to capture a bit more of a red zone role which is entirely possible and he needs to stay healthy which again young players don't want to dock them too much for such a small sample size of injuries. Like, yeah, he's missed three games each year. That That's not that much football players get banged up. If he plays 16 or 17 this year, I, I don't think anybody is going to be gasping in surprise. So yeah, that I agree that that is sort of where the tear break happens, uh, but like between Swift and then Kamara Mixon at on the other end of it. Yeah. And I mean, Swift's overall numbers is points per game targets per game. They're kind of hurt. Just he came back from that injury and was not at a full workload at the end of last year. So those kind of small sample sizes can swing the points per game. I mean, you can make that argument for a lot of players, but he really was having a good year last year. And if this offense can just be somewhat competent league average, he's got to score more touchdowns. So um, I have seen a little bit of pushback, um, maybe not even so much on Kamara, but Joe Mixon being in the second tier, um, for me, I just don't think there's any chance the passing game develops to the point where he's an RB1. Uh, so that, that's why I have Mixon in the second tier. We have already seen it with Swift, so we just need him to run hot on touchdowns and stay healthy, and he's there kind of. But Mixon, we would really need to see a change in usage. Um, and then as far as Kamara, I'm just docking him because of I kind of hate the Saints offense in general. Um, but then add in his age, the potential suspension, which – Looks like it's going away, but it's still, if a, if a video comes out, he could be suspended at any, any moment. We know how the NFL is on this stuff, and supposedly there is a, a video. So I, I think Kamara and Mixon would probably be the big pushback not being in the first tier, but I feel pretty comfortable with them in the second tier. Yeah, I agree. With with Mixon, we would love him to suddenly have a major role in the passing game, but that speaking of like weird training camp blurbs. It feels like every day we get the same blurb about how there's a stiff competition between Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans for the third down role in Cincinnati. Like I, I feel like that one has come across my feed like with regularity in the last couple of weeks. So it, yeah, I, if this is a total smoke screen and Mixon spikes to like a 15% target share this year, then I can see it, but it, from what we know, it feels unlikely, but I, I think every other piece is kind of there. And yeah, I agree with you on Kamara too. I've drafted none of him so far, uh, just as this situation has kind of developed. I think I am at the point now where I would take him after DeAndre Swift. And really the tiebreaker is I, I kind of feel better about the Lions this year than I do about the Saints offense, which is is a fun thing to be saying in the year 2022. But I, I don't know if I'm crazy for that but that's where I'm at. Uh, I'm on board, man. I just, I think the saints offense is the defense is going to be so good. They've got more competition on offense and I don't trust Jameis coming off an ACL injury. We saw burrow struggle coming off of one last year and Jameis is no burrow. So 
I just don't feel great about Kamara in this offense, scoring a bunch of points. So I, I'm there with you. So let's get into tier two here. I think you have some more questions towards the back of this tier. Um, it goes Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Nick Chubb. That rounds out tier two for me. So um, go ahead and poke holes in some of these uh, running backs in the back half of these rankings. So I think we're being a little presumptive with this ranking on Javante Williams. Uh, I wrote up an entire takedown last night with (laughs) this Javante Williams ranking, but of course, new news came out today. It seems like the Broncos are leaning towards giving Javante the majority of the work. I've seen 70-30 as a number thrown out. Uh, I've seen lots of speculation this could just be training camp buzz. It could be fantasy managers wish casting for the, for their favorite breakout player to get the role that we want him to. But if this continues, then I think you're only slightly too high on Javante rather than way too high on him. Uh, yeah, Javante's good. It, there's a reason that people feel the way they do about him. He's a broken tackle savant. He's like leads the league in every broken tackle stat from even going back to when he was in college. Uh, He was decent enough as a rookie when it came to earning targets. That's something that I really look for when we are talking about a player's ceiling. Uh, But I really think Melvin Gordon is not going to just be a zero here. Like I, the the number I wrote last night was 40%. Maybe maybe I'm knocking that down to 35, 30% of the touches that Gordon's going to siphon off. Uh, But last year, obviously it was pretty much 50, 50, Williams wasn't really any more efficient than Gordon was either through the air or on the ground. I think he was slightly, but it's not as if these two players were performing night and day differently last year. So I'd be a little bit surprised if Williams just takes over the backfield, but I guess that that is where the sort of ADP market sees it happening. So it's a little hard to take a huge stance against that, but Realistically, if these were my rankings, I would be bringing Javante probably down to above Nick Chubb. So that that would leave him at, I think, 13 overall. So that's where I'm comfortable with Javante. But maybe that changes a week from now if we keep hearing good things. Yeah, it's really tough for me because I definitely am one of those people who looks at pass production, looks at pass points per game for these running backs, says, hey, like this guy's been in the league three years. He's never reached, you know, this number. Like we shouldn't project forward on him. And I, Javante hasn't been in the league that long, but like we've never seen an elite season from him. And I, I tend to rely on those sorts of metrics um, to kind of judge these players. But I'm trying to get better over the years of projecting forward because that's what we're trying to do here in fantasy football without getting too outrageous on the takes. And you just look at the players behind him. I mean, Leonard Fournette is in his age 27 season. Aaron Jones is in age 28 season. Uh, Saquon Barkley, I mean, it's been two years since we've seen a Saquon Barkley year from him um, because of injuries. You know, so it's just, yes, maybe I'm year too early uh, for the second straight year, you know, on on Javante. But um, it's trying to get out in front of it. And, I mean, both Javante and Melvin Gordon put up 12 PPR points per game last year with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Like, I think his floor is pretty good with Russell Wilson, even if it's still a split. Like, I don't know. I mean, Nick Chubb was like, what, 15 points a game last year. So I don't think it's that outrageous that like he's disappointing, but he still kind of fits into this tier. Like, I, I don't think the bar is that high for uh, Williams to to not be a flop here. And I'm just, I really hope this breakout comes. I will say, looking back at your um, do uh, league running league winning running backs article. Um, just looking at the metrics that predict league winner running backs. Like I didn't realize that his speed score was so low. Javante Williams, he's got a 40th percentile speed score and that's a pretty big red flag as, as far as your metrics go. I, I don't know that it's a deal breaker, but I did think he had a better speed score than that. And it does reflect a little bit in his stats last year. Uh, he, he's better at like breaking tackles and, and juke rate and stuff like that on fantasy data, not so much like the breakout rate. So maybe that holds him back long runs, but I, I, I do think he's going to get a bunch of passes and, and put up a bunch of volume and a good offense. And hopefully he takes a full step ahead of Melvin Gordon here. Yeah. And I, I mostly agree with your assessment. I think where I would really dig in is any running back you draft in the first two rounds that ends up averaging like 14 15 ppr points a game you're okay with that if they stay healthy but that that's not world beating yeah. production i i mean it 
running back really flattens out generally after like the top eight when you look at end of year per game scoring and 15 is right in that range where it's not that different than the running back 20 by uh by uh adp or or by points per game i mean it like if you're getting 15 points per game from your rb10 off the board you'd rather have the rb20 at multiple rounds cheaper more than likely so i yeah and that i agree though that that is his floor like he's not gonna colossally bust or anything it, as long as he stays healthy but i it it is really the ceiling unless melvin gordon gets injured or williams just completely alphas him out of this so i i do think both scenarios are possible but i prefer especially saquon barkley if we're gonna be betting on potentially unlikely scenarios or projecting forward I, the scenario i want to bet on is that Saquon Barkley stays healthy. I, I, I think that 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 and maybe I'm setting myself up for disappointment there, but I that's something I want a piece of. So we yeah. we can get into Saquon a little bit. Um, I I think you have him too low. As I said, I I basically think you should swap him and Javante. Um, so my yeah. first kind of point on Saquon is we should expect the giants to be better. They were historically bad the last couple of years. I, pu- I pulled a nice little quote from a sports illustrated article when I was doing research for this. Uh, and it says that in 2021, the giants averaged 2.2 trips to the red zone per game, which was last in the league. And in those trips, they averaged one touchdown per game in the red zone, which is a league last 44.74% red zone conversion rate. So in getting to the red zone and in getting into the end zone, once they got there, the giants were among the worst teams we've ever seen. It's hard to think it gets worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that's probably the floor. Um, I, I just, so there's a few things here. I mean, full disclosure, I'm not drafting this tier much at all. Um, even Javante Williams, that's kind of getting back to the first round. Why I kind of would rather jam in Austin Eckler at number three than deal with this stuff back here. Um, so but part of the reason is because I'm down on Saquon and it's a lot of it is his health. And I know that that's, it feels like a cop out, but he has had major injuries and struggled to recover. Uh, but I mean, a lot of it's Daniel Jones too. I just, I think we can have a bounce back here from the offense with better play calling for sure, better coaching. But I also just don't really think Daniel Jones is that good. Um, he turns the ball over a ton. He just seems to have he doesn't have poor awareness in the sense that like he doesn't know how to run the offense or he isn't a smart guy, but he just seems like he's caught off guard a lot, takes some hits, doesn't know where he's scrambling, you know, falls over and, you know, open field rushes, stuff like that. Um, so I'm just kind of down on Daniel Jones and um, b- between the health with Saquon and just the quarterback leading the way, that's what scares me here. So I don't know. I, I do completely agree. I mean, in your notes, you're talking about the depth behind Saquon. I mean, there's nothing there. He should play a bunch of snaps. Um, I just worry if Saquon isn't busting 60 yard touchdowns, what does this offense look like? And even, you know, I know we all like Wandale Robinson and Kadarius Tony, but those are far from sure thing wide receiver ones and twos in the NFL. Like there's just a lot of holes on this team. I think maybe this is more of a year two thing with Brian Dable than year one. Um, I, I do think it's worth taking some shots on Saquon because of the upside. I, I just, I really have a hard time pulling the trigger, especially when there's really good running backs on the board our receivers on the board, excuse me, in this range of running backs. Like if I missed a running back first round and I'm faced with Saquon, I'm generally just taking another receiver. Well, first on the Giants receivers, I think we've got to mention if if we're talking about training camp blurbs that cross your feed and that you forget about until you're reminded, apparently the Giants are very disappointed and underwhelmed with what they're seeing out of Kenny Galladay so far. (laughs) Shocking. Uh, So if, (laughs) so Hopefully, yeah, hopefully Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson are going to step up like we want them to. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not saying that Brian Dayball is coming in here and turning Daniel Jones into Josh Allen or anything like that. But all that's really needed is competence and for them to get into the red zone occasionally. Yeah, we and yeah, as you said, I mean, we, we know that Saquon is capable of busting off 60 yard touchdowns, too. If he's got to do it that way, I, I don't see why not. Uh, going into the red zone stats last year, Saquon had only 16 red zone opportunities and Devonte Booker actually had 18. 
But but so at first glance, that might seem bad. What why is Saquon Barkley getting pulled off the field for Devontae Booker in the red zone? A lot of that is time he missed, and a lot of it was in the latter half of the year when he wasn't really at full health. Yeah. Uh so he Saquon was above 80% snap shares in weeks one, two, or in sorry, in weeks two, three, and four. Uh that's right where we want him. Sprained his ankle in week five came back later in the year, but never, never was really going over 60% at that time. And if you're the giants, why would he like, what, why would you throw your star running back out there for 80% of the snaps in a completely lost season? It just, it didn't really make sense. And the reason I don't think I'm just coping and making excuses for why Saquon didn't do what we wanted last year, even when he was on the field is because the Giants don't seem all that worried about, about their running back depth. As you alluded to, Matt Breida is currently the Giants RB2, and there is no other running back on the roster that has more than like 10 NFL offensive touches, I believe. Yeah. So every day that they don't sign more depth should give us more and more confidence that Saquon's healthy and they plan to give him the 80% of the snaps that we're used to. Like every signal the Giants are sending is telling me at least that Saquon is his old self and that he's healthy and that he's going to be great this year. And obviously he was coming off the ACL last year, which got him back on the field slower. And there's a large body of evidence that players coming off of ACL tears are less effective and are more prone to the lower body injuries like the sprained ankles, as we saw with Saquon. So I just think that people are underrating Saquon where ignoring a lot of the known data uh, as far as injuries go, as well as the signals the team is sending us that Saquon's going to be fine this year. And if the offense is good, Saquon is challenging for overall RB1, as crazy as it feels like it is to say. Yeah, and it, Saquon's one of those tough ones as an analyst to just get into because, I mean, like you said, coming off an ACL injury and then playing through an ankle injury, like we want to look at stats and judge these players based on those. And he looks bad if you look at him last year. I mean, just five 15-plus yard runs on 162 rushing attempts. Um, his targets per game were down to 4.4, which are fine, but like not for Saquon Barkley, but he's coming off of an ACL and he had an ankle sprain. Like it's, it's totally explainable. So yeah, it's just hard to do any analysis on him. It's just like, is he prime Saquon Barkley or is he last year's, you know, uh, trash version that fantasy managers were, were screaming about on Twitter. And it's, it's, it's really kind of hard to know, but you're right. Everything they're saying says they think he's closer to the prime version. I believe this is the last year on his deal. Right. So I don't, I, maybe he's got one more year. I don't think they picked up his option though. So um, I don't like, they don't have any reason to not use him a lot as opposed to like uh, Travis Etienne, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Like I do think the Jaguars have a reason to like be safe with him and ease him into the role. I'm not sure the giants really have a reason to care as a franchise about overusing Saquon Barkley. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, according to over the cap.com, this is his contract year. I do want to point out that he is only 25 years old. I <laughs> yeah. know we, we are probably going to continue talking about how most of these running backs in these first couple tiers are getting up there in age, and we're not really sure it's having us feel some type of way. But that that doesn't need to be a concern with Saquon Barkley. It feels like it does because it feels like he's been in the league forever and has been injured forever and whatever. But it, there, there's reason to think that Saquon is – Still in the prime of his career, 25 is pretty much right at the age apex for running back production. I I think that there are not a lot of better bets to make, really, if we're talking running backs in the second round. I think a lot of my teams are going to be built around taking one of those elite wide receivers in the first round and then following it up with Saquon in the second. So, so sort of the opposite of what you're talking about from a okay. team building perspective early on. Maybe And maybe that explains kind of our divide on Austin Eckler as well. Yeah. I mean, if I can't get those top three receivers, it just gets real hard for me to take one in the first. But okay, well... Hey, it's a long training camp and Barkley is some, certainly someone who could shoot up my rankings if he's looking good. I, I do not um, refuse to change these throughout the offseason. So if I like what I see out of him, he could be ahead of Javante up at RB10. So uh, definitely a little bit of room for Barkley to move up in that tier. So I think that's a pretty good look at tier two. Let's get into tier three. It's kind of a mess of a tier, um, I'll be honest. And uh, 
I don't know if they all fit together, but it's an interesting list of names. It's uh, running back 15 is James Conner, and then Brees Hall, Cam Akers, Ezekiel Elliott, David Montgomery, Travis Etienne Jr., and Elijah Mitchell is the tier. Um, You have some takes on this tier and some disagreements, so I'll just turn it over to you here. I do have some takes. So this tier is basically the running back dead zone personified. Uh, for, for those unfamiliar, the running back dead zone is the idea that running backs going usually in rounds three through six, it's a bit of a moving target every year, depending on how we feel, I guess. But in that area of the draft, running backs are generally poor values. They generally exceed their ADP at much lower rates than wide receivers do. So drafting running backs in that range of the draft, generally not a great idea. It's usually good to avoid the running back dead zone. Now, this is the part where we try to pull out our exceptions because there are certain players we like here and try (laughs) to convince ourselves that they're not really dead zone running backs. So starting with Travis Etienne, uh, you have him actually just outside of this tier. And I think he belongs basically near the top of it uh, next to Brees Hall. So (laughs) James Robinson tore his Achilles in December. I don't know why people are drafting him. I like, I I think it's actually crazy that James Robinson has an ADP right now. He, you, you all saw how Cam Akers looked in the Super Bowl. Our, our hero Cam Akers with (laughs) the second round draft capital and the size speed specimen uh, profile. He was putting up like 2.8 yards per carry in the Super Bowl. Uh, So now do that for an undrafted free agent uh, that the organization has no commitment to that is, I, I don't think he's going to play week one. I mean, I have seen beat reports that speculate that he might, or that he, his status is uncertain. That usually means he's not playing at the start of the year. And he, he shouldn't be frankly. So that really just leaves Travis Etienne, who, when you look at what he did in college, 48 catches on 60 targets in his final year. Oh, yeah, that was from his current quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't understand why there isn't more hype around him, honestly. I I get that he's also coming off an injury of his own, a Liz Frank, but he is the type of player that can just be so productive based on how he's used and where he's used on the field. We assume he'll have a pass catching role. If he gets used in the red zone over Snoop Connor or whoever is, (laughs) whoever is competing for the Jaguars RB two slot before James Robinson comes back that then he's golden. Like then Etienne is a top 12 fantasy running back. So I think he needs to go over the players that I'm going to start to take down now. So going down the list, Cam Akers. So last night I wrote that there's upside here. Now I don't think that's true because apparently Akers and Henderson have been splitting first team reps 50-50 in training camp. That that is hot off the presses. And this is actionable because we've been ringing this bell, both of us, for the last couple of months that Daryl Henderson is being criminally underdrafted. There is a very good chance that he has a role, especially with Akers coming off of that injury. And it seems like that's coming to fruition. Now it's not impossible that acres earns back more of that role, but for him to really kill you, if you're fading him, he would need to develop a role in the passing game and his rookie year, he had just a 3% target share and in four playoff games in 2021, 10 total targets. I don't think we have much evidence that acres is a pass catching savant in the NFL so I'm going to go with Etienne, who we, at least in college, very much was. Uh, all right, moving down to Zeke, moving down the running back dead zone. Th- this is a, a brutal Zeke takedown that I have ready for us. <laughs> so I, I'm just going to read off some stats about Zeke uh, starting in the year 2018, which was his best year and going forward to 2021. So in 2018, his opportunity share was 84.2% then 76% the next year, the next year, 65.2%. And then last year it was 56.4%. Are you spotting the trend, Eric? I, I, I think it's pretty clear here. Looking at his yards per out run uh, in 2018, 1.38. That's, that's pretty good for a running back. 
the next year, 0.9. The next year, 0.87. Last year, 0.68. So it looks like Zeke is not all that efficient on his routes anymore. That If you're under one yard per route run, that, that's not great. Maybe there are other options that your team has that should be running routes and catching passes instead of you out of the backfield. We'll get to that later. Target share, 20%, 12%, 13%, last year down to 10%. There's no other way to say it. Zeke is a declining player. He does not have a ceiling anymore. He's going in the running back dead zone. The only reason that he's being drafted there is just the brand equity from his name and the rushing volume that people think he'll get. And that that is the quintessential reason that running backs in this range are bad values because we draft them there because we think they'll get rushing volume because we're afraid of a perceived drop-off at the position later. So I, I am not interested in Zeke. All right, moving down. I know this is a long rant, but down to David Montgomery, who's next. Opportunity share in 2020, 73%. 2021, 58%. Yards per out run, 2020, 1.12. Yards per out run in 2021, 1.04. And his target shared for his credit has held pretty steady at 12%. We've seen David Montgomery in the league for three years. I think he, you were talking earlier about not wanting to uh, assume progression for players that we haven't really seen be elite. David Montgomery, I think is the player you were talking about because I, it is just extremely hard to make a case for David Montgomery having any type of ceiling. Khalil Herbert was more efficient than him last year in yards per carry and yards after contact. It's a completely new coaching staff. It's entirely possible Khalil Herbert uh, eats into this workload even more. And yeah, he Montgomery is seen as safe, but he's not. That's really the theme here is people might be afraid of Etienne because there's uncertainty, but there there is not actually certainty with most of these players in this range of how much volume they actually will get. And we're pretty sure they're not going to be efficient with it. So, yeah. yeah. And then the last one is Elijah Mitchell. I'm sorry. Well, in my defense, I did move him above Elijah Mitchell. Uh, My my rankings have been changing up until published last night. So I've got ETN 20 ahead of Elijah Mitchell in this tier with these running backs. But uh, to be fair, he is behind Akers, Elliott, and Montgomery, like you just mentioned. Yeah. So I guess I don't need to go as hard into Elijah Mitchell because we, I think we get the point at this point, but his problem is really receiving capped out at a 7% target share in college, probably not going to suddenly become a prolific pass catcher that that's really the case. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll start by defending myself. Um, I'm not drafting hardly any cam Akers, Ezekiel Elliott or David Montgomery. So uh, full disclosure there, uh, I'm on board with you on these players. I, I do see Acres. I mean, he's got touchdown upside for sure. They sure seem committed to him, kind of like the the Giants with Saquon. Like I, they haven't done a whole lot other than what's in house to show us that they're worried about Acres. So I just think he could score a bunch of touchdowns. It's not um, league winning, you know, high ceiling stuff like uh, pass catching work is. But I do think Cam Acres is going to be relatively uh, a solid RB two uh, touchdown dependent, maybe. But um, so I guess my pushback on ETN is just it's. Yes, he had a good college share and a good target share in college. Um, yes, he's looked good in camp. Um, we've seen a lot of these players who are good pass catchers, though, never develop that role in the NFL. You know, like, I, I mean, Antonio Gibson, we've dreamed on and Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards Blair. And I, you can poke holes in, in different profiles and compare ETN to them or not. But until we've seen him like get truly difference making target shares, I, like it's it's hard for me to. Um, trust that it's going to happen a whole lot. Like we just hear so many of these running backs that are going to catch pass- passes out of the backfield. And then the season starts and, you know, the team's running up the middle of some plotter and they're catching check downs on third down ETN is, you know, and, and they, they punt the ball. Like, so I understand he does have higher ceiling. I totally get that. Um, I should probably consider him over Montgomery and Zeke at this point, but uh, I mean, we're looking at ranges of outcomes here and there are a lot of worlds where Zeke scores 10, 11, 12 touchdowns again. And, ETN is not, you know, the Jags struggle again. He's not involved enough in the passing game and, you know, you're just not starting him. So I get it. Um, I, I just, I think we're kind of basing this off of his college profile still, which was good, but I mean, 80th percentile speed score, 12% target share. I just, I feel like there've been a lot of those players that haven't worked out. So um, I, I mean, I, your point is basically that 
none of these players are probably going to work out and we might as well go for the upside. And I, I do understand that, but that that's the pushback on ETN for being RB 20. Yeah. You said it very, very well. Like it. Yeah. I will acknowledge that there, there are a lot of worlds that ETN does not outscore any of those players that I just took down, but I, yeah, there, there's only a top 12 ceiling for Etienne and there, I don't think there is for any of the others. So that, and that might just be revealing sort of my philosophy for drafting. I am always drafting for upside, even in the higher rounds. I, I just want the upside. I put, will understand that not all of them will work out, but enough of them probably will that hopefully I can win a league that that's really the philosophy. Yeah, and I think my target in this tier is Brees Hall, which I know he's a target of yours as well. But um, I've been taking him because he doesn't have a major injury he's coming off of. But I will acknowledge like ETN's the the blurbs out of camp are so great on ETN. And what I'm kind of hoping for personally is that James Robinson starts working back on the field. Uh, he's he's avoided the pup list and ETN's price drops because we already know ETN's not going to get 90% of the snaps here. So that's already baked in. And so just James Robinson returning should not lower him in the rankings because somebody is going to spell ETN, whether it's James Robinson or not. So uh, I, that's what I'm hoping for personally is Robinson comes back and I can start drafting ETN at a little bit of a discount here. Cause I, I do want to take a shot on him. I agree. I much preferred getting ETN in the fifth and sixth round on underdog. Now you've got to pay like a late third for him. Uh, and I, I'm guessing that his normal redraft ADP is going to start creeping up that way too. But yeah, I think we've pretty much covered it. I obviously agree on Brees Hall. You, it looks like you're eight spots above expert consensus on him. Completely endorse it. Uh, really for all the same reasons. Yeah, he's a rookie. We don't know what his role is, but guess what? That's Those are the only types of guys in the running back dead zone that you want to draft because they're the only ones with ceilings. So I, yeah, I, I think that about covers it for this tier, unless you have any other thoughts. No, just that ETN, um, he's 35 uh, ADP on underdog, which is a lot sharper. Um, on Fantasy Pros ADP, is about 47. And I do think that's going to be a little bit more realistic as far as your home league drafts. So there are going to be people scared off by that injury. And he looks a lot more attractive to me there. You, you also don't have the overall prize component like you do on underdog to go for that true ceiling. So he gets hyped up as well, too. But yeah, I, I think at home leagues, I'm going to draft him a lot more than I will underdog at his ADP. So um, I'm just going to go through it, tier four is a long tier. So I don't want to go through the whole tier here. Um, but just the kind of names you're seeing in this tier, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, CEH, you know, I've got some of the handcuffs in here, AJ Dillon, uh, Tony Pollard, uh, Chase Edmonds is in here. I've even got like Melvin Gordon, uh, the Buffalo running backs, uh, Patriots running backs. There's all kinds of fun stuff in here. So um, what kind of stands out in tier four? It's, it's my biggest tier. Uh, but I do feel like it's um, a valid tier. Like I think any of these players could quote unquote break out to an RB2 role, uh, but I, they all have pretty clear uh, roadblocks in the way from like a, a real breakout season. Yeah. So what catches my attention in this tier is just sort of AJ Dillon versus Tony Pollard. Which one should we be ranking higher? You have Dillon higher. I think Pollard should be higher. So if, if we kind of compare these two players, obviously from a structural perspective, they're pretty similar draft picks. We're thinking that both of them will probably have some sort of standalone role, but that's not really the reason we're drafting them. We're drafting them in case one of them takes over the backfield, whether it be because of an injury or because the veteran in front of them just kind of falls out of favor. Uh, the reason I like Pollard more, even though I concede that Dylan will probably see the field more week one, is that if Pollard beats out Zeke, the the role will be just as good on the Cowboys offense as Dylan's would be. And I think it's more likely that Tony Pollard beats out Zeke than it is that Dylan beats out Aaron Jones. So obviously I just tore Zeke to shreds. But if you look at Aaron Jones and kind of put him through the same process that I just did with Zeke, he Jones has been seeing declines in his opportunity share, which actually was lower than Zeke's was. He was under 50% last year and his yards per outrun have declined, but it is still higher than Zeke has ever posted other than in his rookie year. And his target share has held between like 13 to 15% since his sort of peak year. So I think Zeke is a lot 
further away from his prime than Aaron Jones actually is, even though he's a year older. So the, and the ADP agrees with me, obviously Aaron Jones is going higher than Zeke. So I just think it's more likely that we get to see Tony Pollard season than we get to see AJ Dillon season. And that that's really my reason for objecting to how you've ranked them. Yeah. And I, I thought a lot about this one I, when I was on second city gridiron with uh, Jeff Burkus, like he, we were kind of talking about these two and uh, I put a lot of thought into it and I, I stuck with Dylan ahead of Pollard. So, I mean, there's a few reasons here. I've been pretty impressed with Dylan as a pass catcher. Surprisingly, I never thought that he would look as talented and, and the numbers back it up. I mean, he had a 92% catch rate and he, he certainly disappeared in the passing game at times. So his overall targets per game isn't great, but I mean, he had a game with six catches. He had a game with five catches. He had a few four catch games. Like he's got the goal line, you know, bulldozer role, but he can catch passes. And he, he played 42% of the snaps last year with Jones active for 15 games. So he's playing a decent amount. He can score touchdowns. He can catch the ball. Um, I think the Packers are going to have to funnel a lot through the running backs this year because of their subpar receiving core. You could say the same about um, the Cowboys, but they at least have CD lamb there, but Overall, I, I, my main worry for Dylan is the offensive line in Green Bay, if it's healthy. Um, but he's playing with Aaron Rodgers. AJ, or excuse me, Aaron Jones is like 28 years old. He's had knee injuries in the past. He's been dinged up. Like, I don't know that there's that much of a difference between these, these lead running backs. And, and obviously, Jones is a better player. But I think they're both kind of equal risk of getting injured. And then we have the wild card in Dallas of Jerry Jones, who just everything he says, we roll our eyes at. Um, that the fantasy community groans, um, but he sure seems just committed to jam Ezekiel Elliott down opposing defense's throats, which at this point, um, they're, they're more than happy with that. They're like, please give the ball to Zeke so we do not have to defend your pass catching and, and Dak throwing the ball. So that's kind of the wild card here for me is Jerry Jones. Uh, Green Bay, like I think if Dylan is the better back, which I'm not saying he's going to be, but I, I think he can earn as much work as he deserves. I, I just kind of wonder in Dallas if this is actually going to happen. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I I think it was yesterday that there there was the <laughs> the training camp blurb about how Zeke was going to get fed, uh, and I mean we do laugh and groan at it every single year, and it does end up about the same every single year. But I don't I don't know some something feels different this year about Tony Pollard. Uh, th- this is really the last year that the Cowboys are tied to Zeke from a financial perspective, they can save against the cap if they cut him after this year. So next off season. So I don't think it's all that crazy that if Pollard is outperforming him, then they start to make the shift this year. Yeah. I mean, maybe Jerry Jones will just never let that happen, but it, yeah, yeah, it's tough to say. I, and I don't hate either of these picks or anything. I I think both are fine process, but yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting debate. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to say, to be fair, I have AJ Dillon 27. I have Tony Pollard 29. Uh, Chase Edmonds is in between for some reason. I don't know why I did that, but um, they're awfully close in the rankings. So I can see the upside on both of them for sure. Uh, Just something that kind of occurred to me, I guess it's just the age, but um, Melvin Gordon kind of like fits some of these. I guess it's just that he's 29 years old and but uh, he's going later in drafts. He's on a good offense. He's the 40% maybe of the backfield if something happened to the lead back. Like, are we too low on Melvin Gordon? Or are we just writing him off because he's 29 years old here? I know we talked about Javante Williams a lot, but like, is there a reason to kind of stash Melvin Gordon when he drops in drafts? Or are we just just passing on these dusty running backs? Yeah, I don't think Melvin Gordon has top 12 running back in his range no, of outcomes no. if Javante gets injured. But yeah, I, I think that... There, that late, there's something to be said for this guy will vastly outperform his ADP, maybe without an injury and certainly with one. I I think that Gordon is a fine pick where he's going. Obviously not as exciting as you said, just because of the age and the upside. But yeah, I, I, I don't hate thinking that way. Okay. Yeah, it looks like he's got an ADP in the 90s. Uh, significantly less than uh, A.J. Dillon. Wow, I didn't realize he was that much ahead of Tony Pollard, A.J. Dillon on Fantasy Pros. So, yeah, if you're giving me that kind of ADP, I would take Pollard. But, um, yeah, in a vacuum, I like Dillon more. So, other than that, the rest of this tier, I managed to sneak Ramondre Stevenson in front of Damian Harris. I'm buying into the camp hype. 
it's really just because his upside is so much bigger just because maybe he'll have a pass catching role. We just know that Damian Harris isn't going to have one. So um, I did make that flip in my rankings. Um, I couldn't get myself to pull the trigger on Devin Singletary and James Cook flipping them. I do still have Singletary ahead of Cook for now. Singletary running back 33, Cook 35. Even though I do love him, I'm on board with him just as much as you, Ryan. I, I think at the end of the day for Singletary and Cook, I just I couldn't get it out of my head that this is a Bills team with Super Bowl aspirations here that we've seen these running backs start slow, take a little bit to earn trust. Singletary's not a world beater, but I, I think the odds are the first six or so weeks of the season, we're still seeing a good amount of Singletary. So that's kind of why I kept this the way it is in the rankings, but um, enough camp hype and I would be more than willing to flip James Cook here. So um, anything you want to talk about at the end of these, these tier four rankings, either of the situations. Yeah, I would make the flip on Cook versus Singletary, but I think what you say is valid that th- th- this is a rookie we're talking about. It It is a team with championship aspirations. Totally possible that James Cook just doesn't earn a role and Singletary is there to be like an RB2 supported by a really good offense that falls into the end zone sometimes. Like, I, I think that's totally possible. And if you do get Singletary at his ADP and that happens, then you're pretty happy. But yeah, just my sort of ceiling brain from all of the underdog drafts I do just require me to draft James Cook over Devin Singletary. But I I can definitely see why you would make that ranking as you did. And I mean, you're still higher on Cook than consensus as I am. So hard hard to gripe too much here. Yeah, I, I don't really see anything else that is worth spending a ton of time on. We already talked about how Daryl Henderson is going too low. He, he's kind of after them. Uh, he, I'm sure his ADP will rise after the, this camp blurb, unless people are really, really stuck to their priors on acres. But I, I don't think that that's the case. Uh, you do have Kenny Gainwell pretty high. Maybe we should talk about him. I see you've got him 12 spots over consensus. I really like Kenny Gainwell. We had the camp blurb that he was running with the ones. And then there was sort of the clap back from Miles Sanders and, Sirianni the day after with Sanders running with the ones again. So what what is the thought process here for having Gainwell so high? It's really just a league's best offensive line, according to PFF. I do think this team's going to be really good. They got a ton of talent all across the roster, defense and offense. And just the fact that they're rotating, I think is enough to just at least be intrigued in Gainwell. I mean, we're in, we're in RB 39 range. Like the names start getting ugly pretty quick. Uh, my main drawback on Gainwell is just that he, I still think he's more of like a Naheem Hines type back than he is a, a workhorse that's going to come in and beat out Miles Sanders and just take the work. But like, I don't know. He played about 30% of the snaps as a, a fifth round rookie, which is pretty good for a fifth round rookie. He had some real spike weeks last year. Um, he had an eight target week, a seven target week, uh, the playoff game. He had five catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. Um, his work just wasn't consistent. Um, it was getting siphoned off by like Jordan Howard, Boston Scott, Jason Huntley. Um, Howard is gone. All they brought in was an undrafted free agent, Kennedy Brooks. Like I'm hoping it's going to be more condensed with Gainwell. Um, maybe there are some Gainwell weeks as opposed to Sanders weeks. And it's just a good offense that I kind of want to have a part of. So th- th- there's really, I, I, there's not a whole lot there. I may have re- overreacted to the the camp story, but I do think it's notable, notable that he's rotating in and um, is, at least a one B option here. We just, we haven't heard a whole lot about Boston Scott or some of these other options like we would in the past. So I think that's encouraging. Yeah. And I don't think you're wrong to lump him in with like the Daryl Henderson's and other guys that we like late that have high contingent upside, like Rashad white, Khalil Herbert, Tyrion Davis price. I, I think he belongs in that tier, but yeah, yeah. I to- totally fine with him being among those names because there there is upside here. Obviously he could earn a pass catching role. We think the Eagles are going to throw more this year. Maybe he fits in on more of those packages than Sanders does. I, yeah, I, I think there's reason to get as excited as we can about a fifth round second year player. Yeah, exactly. And one, one other, this is a different situation here, but one thing I keep coming back to is I was drafting a lot of Rashad Penny early in the off season because he was cheaper than Kenneth Walker in Seattle. Um, it has flipped now. Uh, there's a pretty significant gap that Rashad Penny is ahead of Walker by uh, both underdog and on fantasy pros. And suddenly I find myself wanting to draft Walker because 
maybe it's too late in camp. Maybe I should quit this hope. But I do think if you drop Jimmy Garoppolo into this offense, like we've got a lot, it's a lot more interesting than it is with Geno Smith leading the way. So I do think their their value would skyrocket if they signed uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kenneth Walker has gotten pretty cheap. So I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because like I said, I've got a lot of penny from the early off season, but I'm not drafting him anymore. And, and Walker, I mean, he's going, I think in the hundreds, uh, 97 on fantasy pros. Um, he's going pretty late. So he's suddenly become the value and I'm kind of turning my attention towards Walker. So I currently have zero of this backfield. I will yeah. continue to have zero of the Seahawks backfield. And there, there's kind of two reasons. Start Starting with your wild Jimmy Garoppolo conspiracy <laughs> theory. Do we really think that the 49ers would trade a quarterback within their own division and then watch Jimmy Garoppolo probably not beat them but but it's the thought is there that well so here's my theory is that it's a standoff right now it's like seattle knows that he's got nowhere to go they gotta cut him and san francisco's like we're not gonna cut him and let seattle get him so it's just like a stare down right now that's my uh, that's my theory yeah i i'm sure yeah to to give you some credit i i'm sure that all the blurbs we see about seattle being very happy with geno smith and drew lock are <laughs> are totally real and accurate and right not not at all planted by the team's pr department um but yeah i mean even even if we do say that jimmy garoppolo is under center here there is not a pass catching ceiling whatsoever for either rashad penny yeah. or ken walker i we know that walker didn't catch any passes in college really it, it's like statistically impressive how few he did basically derrick henry is the only guy you can compare him to which is lots of fun if you're having bad faith debates on twitter but probably not fun if you're trying to be accurate with what's with how his career is going to go um it, but it seems like DJ Dallas or Travis Homer is going to be in on most, if not all, third downs for the Seahawks. So I, I just I can see one or the other kind of taking over most of the backfield and being a weekly RB2 maybe. But I, that is just not what I'm looking for at this point in the draft. I'd, I'd rather take the James Cooks and the Kenny Gainwells, as we've talked about. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, I've got them on opposite size of Cordell Patterson here. So I certainly do not have them ranked highly. So just a, just a thought, I wasn't sure what to do with them, but um, as long as Geno Smith's leading the way, I'm, I'm not in. So, all right. Well, I think that gets through um, the rankings pretty well. We've, we've got some time to talk about uh, some super late players. I think we've talked about a lot of the late players. We always talk about like Tyrion Davis price or uh, James cook or some of them, but do you have anyone late that you want to talk about that you noticed from the rankings or that we haven't talked enough about uh, this off season? Yeah, I so you earlier made a reference to Naheem Hines comparing Kenny Gainwell to him. I I think you have Naheem Hines like extremely extremely low. I you had him at fifty nine or sixty, I believe. Yeah. So it and then I can't help but look and see that you have Michael Carter like ten to twelve spots ahead of him. I I just don't see the difference between these two players, other than that. Naheem Hines has a larger sample of commanding targets. I mean, he's been between like a 12 to 14% target share for, for most of his career. 1.2 to 1.8 yards per out run. That's actually McCaffrey territory. He, his career average is 1.6. Uh, there, I just see a scenario where Hines is working in the slot and out wide because the Colts don't really have a lot of wide receiver options. And the, the Colts are, wait, I think we're, expecting them to be a better offense than the Jets this year. So I, I just am curious to hear your thought process on why you are so much lower on Naheem Hines than you are on somebody like Michael Carter or even Kenny Gainwell. So first of all, all the Paris Campbell fans out there are furious with you right now, but uh, let's get beyond that. So I, I think I think I know what this is, Ryan. This is your best ball brain and my redraft brain uh, going at odds here. I think that's what this is. So Players this late are probably players that I'm going to end up dropping for the first like hot thing, you know, on the waiver wire. Like it's this is late in drafts here. They're probably not going to be long for my roster. I'm trying to get players, even Kenneth Gainwell, like maybe he does beat out Miles Sanders. You know, I, I don't know that it's probable, but I, I think it's in the range of outcomes. Uh, I think I know what Naheem Hines is going to do, at least while Jonathan Taylor's healthy. 
So I just feel like if I draft him, I'm just going to end up dropping him in like two weeks, like unless the injury happens quickly. So I kind of think that's what it is. Um, I probably haven't given enough thought to what happens if Jonathan Taylor got hurt. I always assume players like Naeem Hines aren't going to become the bell cow because that's not what their role is. And that's valid. But I suppose there's a chance that if Jonathan Taylor got hurt, this just becomes a pass heavy offense. And then Hines is on the field, 60% of snaps. And that's a lot of fun for fantasy purposes. So uh, you may have a point there. I should probably raise him up. I, I think it's really just that, like, I'm not going to use him probably what until bye weeks, like assuming, assuming health on my roster and generally your roster is healthy early on. So I, I think it's more of a roster construction thing. I just, he's just going to sit on my bench and I'm going to end up dropping him for like Tyler Algier or, uh, you know, I don't know, Deontay Foreman when, uh, when CMC ends up on the injury report. So I, I think that's kind of my issue here with Hines. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there, there isn't a lot of contingent upside with Hines. I, it, it is hard to imagine him kind of stepping into like the the Austin Eckler light sort of role, or may, maybe the Travis Etienne role. That, that yeah. but that I mean, the, the the Travis Etienne we haven't seen him have. I don't, I don't know. We're still working on what we're naming that role. But I, yeah, I, I will concede that he's not someone I'm all that interested in drafting and redraft for the reasons you laid out there. There's a overwhelming likelihood that you're just going to drop him when you're churning for the waiver wire. Uh, but I, I just thought it was interesting and I wanted to see if I could trick you into defending Michael Carter, but it sounds like you aren't taking the bait on it. You know, I felt like I was ranking him low. I'm not sure if I'm under consensus on him or not. Um, I didn't know what to do with him, to be honest. I think he's talented, relatively talented. He's a pass catcher. He's trapped behind a rookie running back that's got much better draft capital. But as much as we like Brees Hall, he is still a rookie. We'll see, you know, how durable he is. I I was having a little trouble, I will admit, with Michael Carter. I just, I could not figure out where to fit him into my ranks. So um, the names after him are like Daryl Williams and Marlon Mack and Sonny Michelle and Algier Pierce. Like, it's not a great group behind him, but... Uh, yeah, I, I could easily have him like 10 spots lower and I wouldn't have put much thought into it. All right. Well, I think that is really the end of my list of objections. You you have stood trial very well today, <laughs> Eric. I, I'm proud of you, frankly. Uh, there there was a lot of ranting and raving that I was doing about the running back dead zone, but you stuck to your guns and you, you said, yeah, this is how it is. These are what my rankings are. I wrote 12,000 words, Ryan. Why are you even... <laughs> deigning to criticize me right now that just eat it and i did i'm eating it exactly yeah i uh if i didn't mention some stats they're definitely in the article um my brain may be a little bit fried at this point but please read it because there's a lot in there i did kind of uh you know we're just over the hour mark i I think we did pretty well um i did kind of want to just briefly like what are we doing with this this chief's backfield like i I kept wanting to rank one of these backup running backs a little higher because i'm intrigued but like Ronald Jones might not make the roster and he can't catch passes. Jerick McKinnon's 30 and he didn't even play until the playoffs last year. Everyone's excited about Isaiah Pacheco. He's undrafted, right? Like shouldn't we be drafting somebody or are we just not drafting anyone behind CEH? So I, now we're playing the game of, I saw a beat writer say, so (laughs) I saw a beat writer say on a podcast that, the reason the Chiefs may have taken so long to bring McKinnon back in was because they were so focused on the Tyree Kill situation and all of the things that have gone down with the Chiefs this offseason. They've had a pretty rough one, all things considered. And that they really actually liked Jarek McKinnon a lot with what they were able to do with him, especially on passing downs down the stretch last year. So I think if you're taking a flyer on the Chiefs' backfield, it's got to be McKinnon number one because he's cheaper than Rojo and number two because we know he's capable of catching passes and not dropping it so I I if I'm taking a stand I think that's where I'm at but it it is really tough to pick out any one of these guys right now maybe there's just no running back value in an Andy Reid Patrick Mahomes offense I still have a hard time believing this but uh I don't know man just looking at McKinnon's snap shares I mean he didn't top he didn't hit 40% until the playoffs. And then he was playing 78, 70 and 78. It's just, it's such a weird situation. So I figured we'd throw that in at the end, but 
I don't know that we have a good takeaway. I just, uh, I'm keeping my eye on it, but I just can't get myself to pull the trigger on anyone. So that's where I'm at. So, okay. I think that wraps it up. Um, that was a good look at my running back rankings. Please check out the rankings though. Much more detail. Um, we will be back the next time. I'm thinking with the wide receiver rankings, I want to get Chris Sanzo on here to defend his and we can really rip them apart for those. So that's going to be a ton of fun. Um, eventually I got a, a podcast with Nick Pollock coming up eventually where I, I kind of teach him about fantasy football for the year, uh, the, our, our friend over at Pitcher List. So that's going to be a fun one. So we got a ton of fun stuff on the way. Like I said, tons of rankings on the site, um, tons of team previews and coaching analysis, look deep dives, just all kinds of good stuff. So please check it out. We're, we're going full force right now. So uh, we'll talk to you pretty soon, but um, until then, enjoy all the training camp. Podcasts.